it's gotten a lot of headlines like on copywriting and a lot of the job, you know, starting to be substituted. But we're not yet at the point, right, where we can have a high degree of confidence in handing over to automation. What's up? I'm Tyler Sweat. Cue the dramatic music. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Ready to get weird and learn some cool shit about emerging tech and the government? I thought so. Let's fucking go. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey everyone, Chrissy McGarry here, COO of Second Front Systems. Excited to share with all of you that you are now able to sign up for our annual Offset Symposium. Imagine attending the number one national security symposium located at the Ronald Reagan Building in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. During the symposium, you'll be able to hear from some of the leading experts in the defense tech space and VC communities. Individuals like Nund, the CTO of the CIA, and General Raymond, formerly of the Space Force, will be there participating in fireside chats and conversations. Don't worry, you can locate our full agenda at secondfront.com backslash offset dash symposium. Make sure you sign up today. Space is limited. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring government shit comes to die. I'm your host, Tyler Sweat, and uh, excited to have another another good, long, uh, old friend with me, Brian Raymond. Uh, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks for having me. I'm psyched, man. Heck yeah. So, uh, you know, give him a little bit of a background on you. Want to talk through kind of where you came from, the Genesis story, yeah. if you will. Give sure. the people what they want a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, so let's hear it. Totally. Yeah. So um, I think most charitably we could call it a a non-linear career path is one that I've had. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, I was a PhD, you know, student about two years in and had the opportunity to go to CIA for the summer as a graduate fellow. And I was studying constitutional design and electoral rules, okay? About as boring as it gets, unless you're a nerd like me. And they plopped me down in the Iraq office. And um, and by the end of the summer, I had written multiple um, multiple assessments for the president. I was sold. I was, And they said, hey, if you drop out with your master's and come back to work with us as soon as possible, you got yourself a job. And I'm like, that's a it's deal. It's a really interesting, that's hey, it. I was getting a PhD and had to build stable governments yeah. and instead went to go destroy them. <laughs> Fucking villain arc out of the gate. So, um, so Kara, my wife, and I um, hopped in the old Jeep Cherokee, road tripped it all the way out to DC, uh, I-80 the whole way. It was a blast. And um, I spent the next six years at the agency. And so I covered Iraq um, and the Middle East issues the entire time. I had the opportunity to serve in Iraq a couple times. And, um, and then right as the ISIS mess was kind of kicking off, I was tapped to be um, White House briefer for rock issues. And then, you know, ISIS took Mosul. They said, how about you just stop driving back and forth each day and you just stay here? And so I spent the next um, about a year on the National Security Council as a country director managing that mess or helping helping to manage some of that mess. <laughs> and around that time, my wife and I wanted got the itch to move back to California. So both those California natives did an MBA Got a, a transition from the MBA into investment banking. It was about as horrible as that people advertise, uh, but it was a good learning opportunity, good learning experience. It was just not the right fit for me. And around it was that a time, character development opportunity. It was a character development opportunity. Okay, and it was um, 
it, it helped shrink the size of my ego, uh, which was at an all time high prior to that. And, um, and, and a really interesting opportunity came about. So a former agency colleague of mine, she had done the opposite of me. She did not go do MBAs. She started applying to cool inky toe back companies out here on the West Coast when her and her husband moved back out here and their kids. And she landed at a company doing really interesting natural language processing, natural language generation. They just closed their Series A. She was one of their first non-technical hires. And she said, hey, we're, we're building something pretty cool over here. And I was like, all right, I'll jump on, jump on in. You know, I'll do anything, right? And so came in um, fairly early on and just had a blast. Had, you know, an opportunity over the next four years to build and run, you know, a global public sector practice where we were doing, you know, civilian work, but also a lot in the NATSEC realm. And so I got to feel like the rewards of doing, of contributing to mission, but doing it from California, doing it in a really cool emerging tech space and then growing my toolkit. Right. And so, so that, um, that was until mid last year when I left to found Unstructured. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny to hear you sort of use the investment banking as like a, an ego sort of bounding experience. Yeah. <laughs> when I was transitioning, right, I had an economics degree from West Point. I was like, oh, I got a 50 pound brain. I'm wicked smart. And I like reached out to an old grad. I was like, hey, can I do an informational interview at this like real like niche bespoke shop? Sure. And I was like, I can do that. I can do yeah. I was killing bad guys in <laughs> Afghanistan. And this dude just curbed me. <laughs> on an interview for like 30 minutes i was fucking humiliated yeah right yeah. like i didn't know the answer and like he got me so on my heels like basic fundamentals just left my brain sure and sure. i couldn't answer yeah. anything yeah. he's like hey man you're an idiot <laughs> i was like hey thank you and i didn't talk to him for like five years because i was so embarrassed then we ended up at a dinner again and i was like thank you yeah like that was yeah. one of the best things that could have ever happened i was like it's, it's still clearly we're talking 15 years ago at this point. Yeah. And it's still just like imprinted into my brain. Yeah. I think I came away from that realizing, you know, we all have superpowers in certain areas. They're not everywhere, but also stretching yourself is great too. Yeah. Right. And um, because you, you get comfortable and you stay in a certain area and you become an expert in that, but then there's a whole world outside of that. And if you want to grow and do broader things, right. Yeah. Going and deliberately trying to bolt on those, those tools can be really valuable. Well, and it's, especially folks with sort of backgrounds like ours who are transitioning out of out of organizations where there's there's strong allegiance and yep. a strong sort of tribal mentality. Yep. The notion of sort of building your toolkit is something I, I'm going to click into a little bit. We're going to sure. go off script. Not yeah, yeah. that we script these out. I don't want to confuse anyone that does any prep work. <laughs> Tyler, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um when I talk to folks about sort of career progression yeah. and planning and all of it, I explain it like lily pads a lot of time, right? And yep. I'm like, hey, if you've got like sort of an idea where you want to go, think back to like where you are now. There's going to be some milestones, right? Like you have to fucking understand a PL, how you sell, how you understand value, how you map personas, how you yep. do tech, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to learn all of that in one job. You don't have to know all of that out of the gate. You don't have yep. to go to school to learn that. You can learn a little bit at this company and a little bit at that company. And your job post-transition isn't the next 20 years of your life, isn't the next 10 years of your life. And that's okay. Yep. Uh, I don't think enough people are comfortable yet with that. You've got to sort of build your own toolkit because no one's going to build it for you. Yeah, I think 
if you have intellectual curiosity and you know you're motivated by the newness and the novelty instead yep. of you know I, I think for you know for me at times I've been terrified by it but uh, you know as I've gotten older and had more experiences I said you know what I can I can I can pick new things up and I can learn yeah. I, I kind of know the I, I, I recognize a bit more the, the left and right bounds like I'm never going to be a data scientist <laughs> I'm never going to be a software engineer but I can know enough to be dangerous and like for us take together to do some awesome stuff right and um and that was the case in you know in the intelligence domain and finance and now in in tech as well yeah. that's what just makes it fun heck yeah yeah so talk to me about what you're up to now so at unstructured we are working to build a suite of tooling and a platform to unlock about 80% of an organization's data okay. so around, you know, approximately 80% of organizations' data is unstructured. And this is not a, a new problem, but we have new tech, which is really cool. And so at Primer, whereas at previously, we're building applications on top of machine learning pipelines using unstructured data and doing some actually really cool stuff, right? But it was slow and artisanal. Think like a um, like an old cobbler, like chipping... <laughs> <laughs> like things out of wood and and building shoes one by My one. My fat ass was thinking blueberry or peach. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, uh, I can go for some pie right now. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, we'll go to Geppetto. So, yeah. um, so you know, we, we saw uneven investments um, over the last decade, a lot in the computer vision domain, yep. and and some in natural language processing, and then GPT three happened in twenty twenty. GPT Neo happened after that. Um, Chat GPT happened last year. GPT four happened this year, and um, and what you've seen is that those models have bought down both the cost and the time to value. However, there are some really critical bottlenecks that still exist to activating, utilizing these next generation of machine learning models for mission applications. And this is something we had the opportunity to see when we were at Primer, and it was just unsexy stuff. How do you take PDFs or PowerPoints that contain valuable information, emails, right, text messages, and get it into a format where you can utilize it in conjunction with I that? I remember sitting in Vegas with you yeah. when it was still on like a single laptop, <laughs> yeah. and you were like, is this fucking interesting? And I was like, if that can happen at <laughs> yeah. scale, yeah. that is the least sexy thing yeah. in the world, but it is absolutely transformative. And so what we're doing now at Unstructured is we're, we're you know, going to organizations, large enterprises, and saying, hey, let's get you guys ready, your data ready yeah. for machine learning, okay, and, and, and keep it ready. And so call us like an ETL, extract, transform, load, call us ingestion, preprocessing. Bottom line, we're taking data no matter where it sits, no matter what file type it is, and getting it into a format, which is JSON usually, so that um, these LLMs can interact with it. And so you can have like a chat GPT type experience on your network, on your data. With your own today. data. You can query your That's own the data. power. Bring That's your data power. to life almost. Exactly. That's it's awesome. all self-contained within your network for your people with your data. And so large organizations are, are producing millions of pages yep. of natural language data a day. Think about that over the last 20 years if you're able to query that, chat your data. We're right at that inflection point. Yeah. And so at Unstructured, we're trying to buy down the cost of just getting up and going okay. with ingestion and pre-processing. So good transition into sort of LLMs. I mean, it's all the rage right now. Um, talk about why. Why do they matter, right? What 
Yeah. Why why should folks maybe if someone's listening who's like, yeah, I saw Chat GPT or you know, I know that Congress can't figure out how to log into a computer. Yeah. Like, why should somebody care about LLMs? What do they unlock? There have been two studies done in the last call it like 45 days that have been very fascinating. The first was by a couple of researchers at MIT. And what they did is they gave um cohorts of you know knowledge workers, white collar workers, just access to chat GPT. That was it. They just said, hey, please go just go create a login and just start using it. What they find, the folks that actually created the login and got going, no matter what background they are, this is ever this is, you know, folks that have been working for 20, 30, 40 years, right? At minimum, they saw 37% productivity gains. Golly. The model doesn't have access to their data. It hasn't been tuned on their data, and they haven't received any formal training. Just pure general. Just log in and go. Yep. 37% productivity, right? Upwards of 70 to 80% once you start making those investments. This is with generation one of these models. Yep. Um, you know, other studies have said, hey, upwards of 80% of all jobs are going to be impacted or accelerated by these. Um, ARC Investment said that over the next seven years, they're expecting in certain areas 10x increases in productivity. Goldman. Yeah, as an ARC, is an ARC statement sort of like the Kramer inverse? Like, <laughs> can I say that, right? Like, should I fucking bet on an ARC thesis? Um, Goldman echoing it as well. And so... All right, well, there you go. There, there you go. There's something. Goldman's so, not trifling. I think 300 million jobs or something like that was they said. And so, look, um, these are incredibly powerful and incredibly relevant that, you know, from a productivity standpoint in the commercial sector, uh, I would guess over the next six to 12 months, you're going to start seeing shareholder expectations shift yeah. to, to showing a lot more um, leverage off of um, your underlying, That's underlying workforce. Um you talk about sort of the great promise there, right? And the ability to unlock and sort of chat your data, bring yeah. all your data to life. Yeah. I think we've all lived in organizations where like knowledge management is just an absolute nightmare. Yep. I don't know what I don't know. Um, talk to you about some of the risks of it, right? Like, you know, I've, yeah, my last company, we were doing a bunch more AI security, the ability to poison data, the ability to think about, yeah. you know, obfuscation of, of certain types of intent. Um, how should folks prepare better think about it. Yeah, I think that's incredibly important from a data poisoning standpoint, but also just from a practical usage standpoint on like, what are you, what are you handing over to automation? Yeah. Right. And, and what's under the hood. And so what we have right now are a collection of really cool demos and then some really cool apps that have been built to accelerate, but not replace workflows. Yeah. It's been, you know, it's gotten a lot of headlines like on copywriting and, um, and things like that. And a lot of the job you know, starting to be substituted, but we're not yet at the point, right, where we can have a high degree of confidence in handing over to automation. And so risk lies in like in a number of different areas. Da underlying data that's been trained on is one, but there's also just more practical concerns around, you know, provenance of assertions that are made around um, how how recent some of the data that the data, either the model has access to or that's been encoded in has. And then also, like, how, like from a hardware standpoint, how can you sustain this over time given that these things are absolute dogs from a <laughs> computer standpoint and they require just a beast, a lot yeah. of hardware and a, a decent sized team just to keep running, Yeah. right? And so like, we're going to, like, as an industry, the next 18 to 36 months are going to be trying to figure all that stuff out. Yeah. Um, 
you know, flip that around a little bit, you know, we talk about sort of the, the broader LLM, the pros, sort of the cons. You, new founder, right? Yeah. Running around sort of defense tech. It's a wild time. Dynamic, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Uh, a lot of dynamism. What are you most excited about? You know, what are you, what are, what are you optimistic about? One thing that I've had the opportunity through our Inkytel work programs at, at Primer and, and another work and then the work that we're doing now is culturally speaking within like the national national security establishment, but particularly within the services and DoD, um, is that they're really leaning forward. They're some, among the earliest adopters here. And so it's just, it's so exciting to see how far forward a lot of them are leaning to say, hey, if anyone's going to go figure that out, it's going to be us, right? Because we have an imperative to innovate. And, and so I'm really excited with, you know, culturally there are, I, I think Pacus doesn't do it, do it justice, but there are, there's large groups, right? Across particularly Air Force, Army, Special Operations Command that are really eager to try and dive in and figure this out because they realize that this is, that the, there, there is an imperative. That, yeah, exactly. So that's, to have those sorts of partners yeah. uh, on the, you know, usually, you know, the perception is, hey, you know, commercially, they're the first adopters and then wait five or 10 years. And then, you know, the, there might be some fit in the federal side, right? I think that's changed a lot. Yeah. That's changed I think a lot. it's tech to tech. Yeah. Like it, there, I guess tech by tech. Yeah. There's some where absolutely. Yeah. I think the the broader national security community is a little bit more forward leaning. They've either got the remit yeah. or the mandate for it or Yeah. And you're starting to see, you know, we talk about you need you need algorithms, you need data and you need hardware, right? And you know, the 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 road to classified cloud has been a bumpy one, but it's been incrementally improving while yeah. while it has been bumpy, it has been improving and capacity's been increasing. We're working on the data side, us at unstructured here on Getting like last year, CDAO designated or CDO at the time uh, designated um, data a strategic asset, right? And okay. we're working to try and get that into a uniform format to buy down the cost and the time, right? And the algorithms have uh, have caught up, right? And so yeah. that that's that kind of magic combination is kind of where we're at right now. Awesome. Uh, what concerns you, right? So early stage, a lot of new money flowing into defense tech. Yeah. Right. Good signals sort of from the broader national security community, right? That's all yeah. flowers and butterflies. And that's probably 20% of being a founder or early stage tech person. What scares the shit out of you? For our company in particular or, or generally about the tech being applied? Intentionally unstructured question. <laughs> unbound. See what I did there? <laughs> Smarter than you look. Uh, okay, so from let, let me take a big picture and then I'll come back down to us. I think from a big picture standpoint, this echoes a theme that I was talking about earlier. Really cool demos right now um, all over Twitter for this stuff. Um, but we're working on productionization. If you actually like want to realize JADC2 or you actually want to put this to effect, right, for a COCOM, right, in order to extend or augment deterrence, it's going to take a lot of focused effort. Like I remember um, Colonel Kukor when he was the head of algorithmic warfare saying 80% of his time was just fighting bureaucracy to get access to data and compute, right? And so um, there's been a lot of great lessons learned and some structural changes made, but actually maturing it rapidly enough 
into production to give the folks downrange the tooling that they need, right? That's actual utility. That's really hard. Yeah. That's really hard, all right? And so that's that's why, you know, at least in the commercial sector, 80% of machine learning initiatives fail, right? And you can't you can't have that. Yep. Uh, you can have that for cool little POCs across it, but when you're talking about, you know, actual effect put down range, you can't have that. Yep. And so um so that that's part of it. For us, look, I, I look at the federal space as a great place to either start a business or to steer a mature business, a terrible place to scale business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so for me, it's just purely pragmatic. It's like Valley of Death, well, I'll just steer out to calmer waters, you know, to mix metaphors here. Um, and what we're trying our darndest to do is one code base for commercial and federal, okay? Um, one team. I think we're able to do that because we have experience, yeah. right? Doing having done this before, that that that's unique. In order to buy down the number of like the the volume of unique investments that we have to make in order to tap that, and it gives us time, right? Because we can we can wait eighteen or twenty four months for you know an NDA process to play out because we're able to cross sell this. It's genuine dual use tech yeah. into the commercial space. Yeah, and that's unique, right? There's not a the the sort of that cyclical nature of defense funding is existential for a lot of organizations. And to, yeah. to be sort of unencumbered by that um, is absolutely a gift. Yeah, that's at least what we're we're aiming for. But it's a good bedtime story to tell yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's all exactly. Right. Yeah. There are no monsters under the bed. Yeah, Mom. yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, all right. So the last question I ask is the same in every show yeah. because it has been beat into me that I have to apply a modicum of structure to this thing. <laughs> um, so I always ask sort of, you know, when the work is done and, you know, you go focus on something that's just for you or the yeah. family, kind of what's that look like? I always use the example of, right, like I have this vision of like a mountain and a river and a bunch of land <laughs> and an outdoor kitchen and yeah. like dogs and my kids and my kids' kids and everybody's yeah. happy and yeah. you know, it's like sort of like Happy Gilmore without purpose, <laughs> right? Like. Everybody's just happy. going on a tricycle. Yeah, and I've got some guns, right? Like America. Yeah. Uh, what's that look like for you? Well, I guess I should. I mean, I'm on a podcast, so whatever. But um, so like the, my, 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 my dirty secret is I'm running all this fully remote from out in the country in uh, in the gold country in the Sierra Nevada foothills. <laughs> Life is good, man. Like we live on a little over an acre out in the country. There's cows next door. Heck yeah. We got three little ones under the age of five, two dogs, and um. I uh, I'm no longer doing motocross. I got a I got a Ducati. I go out on the back roads in the evenings and I'm able to ride. Yeah. And look, it's you know, like this is you know, this is great. If I can just stay in this sweet spot here, this is um, life is life is good, That's right? Awesome. I think back to like when was it like 12 years, 11, 12 years ago when I was like in Baghdad, and um, I remember I got I was living in a Connex and we had like um like I think it was like an 80 80 or 120 millimeter round uh, like landed like within a few yards and like blew everything around in my connects and I was sleeping under my bed and now I'm like man I'm like pamper soft now life is good I have nothing yeah. to complain life comes about. At you fast yeah exactly yeah exactly so so anyways that's that's kind of where we're at right now and it's um it's it's working out pretty well I love that man. yeah I love that for you and I yeah. love that answer <laughs> so all right this was awesome. Yeah. Brian, as always, it's a treat to get to spend time with you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks for spending some time with us. Appreciate here, uh, it. On All Quiet on the Second yeah. Front. All right. All right, man. Thanks, brother. Cheers, guys. Wow, look at you. You made it to the end. 
Thanks for listening. Hope you learned something. Don't forget to leave a passive-aggressive review. It wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about me, Second Front. Stay weird.